Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, tonight I want to continue looking in Daniel chapter 9. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at his prayer, and then uh, next week uh, we'll look at the answer to the prayer. I mean, if all goes if all is part of God's will, we'll look at the answer to the prayer that Daniel had gotten. Uh, but we're going to look at, continue looking at his, his prayer. You know, last week I only kind of got through the first three verses because I, we were emphasizing and we noticed that how he used Scripture as the catalyst for his prayer. He allowed Scripture to guide his prayer. And if you ever wonder, well, what can I pray about? What can lead me to prayer? How can I structure my prayer? Look no further than Scripture. Read your Scripture in your devotional time and your Bible study time, and then allow that to be what you pray about. There's things always to pray for your family, your church family, the nation, the community. It's always found, can be found in Scripture. Well, I want to continue to look at this prayer, and I want us to see tonight that there are certain aspects of Daniel's prayer that... I think are some good habits that we can pick up on for our own prayer life. But first, I want to share a story that I read years ago, and then hopefully it'll be a little bit of encouragement to continue to pray, even when it seems like nothing, uh, nothing seems to be happening, when you're not getting the answers that you are expecting. I read about uh, this young man who was in this small apartment in Washington, D.C., and he had a group of young Christians meeting together. They, and, and they took up this life of, of radical intercessory prayer. And it, boy, if there's anywhere that needs it, Washington, D.C. is the place. But, but each person in this group strategically prayed in shifts, you know, six days a week. I mean, they were just constantly in prayer. So they were in prayer, like as individuals, for eight hours a day. And then they had these two-hour shifts where groups are of six to ten of them gathered uh, on the steps of the Supreme Court to pray silently. And you may have remember this. I mean, this is, you know, early 2000s. They would have red duct tape over their mouth with the word life on it in black marker because they were praying that the Supreme Court would do something about abortion. And so this one group member who was being interviewed, Matt Lockett, he was a suburban Christian for most of his life. And, and, you know, he, he, he said that at first he would approach his prayer life probably like most Christians would, you know. He said, you know, I knew it was something I was supposed to do, but, you know, for me it was just a nagging responsibility. And let's face it, that's what a lot of, how a lot of us look at prayer. Well, I know I'm supposed to, but... Well, for him, he said that in 2004, he had a vivid dream that changed that, and, and in it... He, he, in his dream, he saw that God would bring about an end to abortion in America if people would pray day and night. And so he said that, you know, my whole life and my mental understanding about prayer changed after that. And, and so he sold his home in the suburbs of, of Denver and moved to Washington, D.C. to start this prayer movement. Um, and then the opening day of the Supreme Court session in October 2004, his group of people gathered on the court steps and, you know, again, the whole red tape over the mouth and they began prayer and they would continue uh, to pray. 
And, you know, they named their little group there The Cause. And, you know, they, they lived a life that was centered around prayer, you know, and saw prayer as something that was active, something that was a passionate pursuit, not just something kind of passive, like, well, if I got to, you know, I got to. Um, this is what Lockett said. He said, God has called us to put feet to our prayers. My understanding of prayer is this. Stop living the American dream and live God's dream. Okay, so this started in 2004. Prayer, 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 prayer. It wasn't until 2022 that the Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade decision. That didn't get rid of abortion. That just turned everything over to the states. And so, I mean, that's 18 years to just get that far. And how much more prayer will it take to get rid of abortion? So that, that's kind of a good reminder to us that, you know what, we pray, and if we don't find an answer yet, or we don't have the answer yet, or, or whatever, knowing what God's will is according to Scripture, you know what you do? You continue to pray. And you continue to pray. Just because we might not get the answer immediately doesn't mean that we stop praying. And it also doesn't mean that there aren't some things that we can do with our prayer life that, and even with, you know, in our prayers and in the way that we pray, that could even make us more effective in, in our prayer life. Um, and I want to look at Daniel's prayer. I want to see how Daniel prayed and, and maybe pick up on some principles from Daniel about his prayer life that maybe we can integrate into our own prayer life. So I want to read verses 1 through 19 of Daniel chapter 9, uh, because that in, entails the entire prayer of what Daniel uh, lifted up to the Lord. And so this is what's written in Daniel. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. 
To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and do his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This great prayer of Daniel in response to the word of God that he had read. But what are some of the principles about this prayer that I want us to learn tonight? First tonight, I want us to look at our disposition in prayer. What is our disposition? What is our temperament when we come to God in prayer? Because Daniel did not approach God with just any sort of heart temperament. God, Daniel did not approach God kind of nonchalantly. He didn't approach God casually. He didn't just kind of approach God like, hey, you know, hey, how you doing, what's up? You know, it's, he, he, not very casually at all. You know, he definitely did not, and boy, you want to talk about fingernails on the chalkboard kind of thing. He wasn't talking to the man upstairs. I hate that phrase. Don't ever use that phrase in front of me, okay? We don't approach God like that. That is not our heart temperament. But what was his heart when he was approaching God? What that accompanied? And I find it described in verse 3. Because first we notice that it says he was seeking God in prayer. Uh, there was a seeking. And some versions, uh, some translations might say that he set his face toward God. Daniel knew that there was only one place to turn. Only one person could help him. Only one person 
could give him the answers that he sought. Only one person could give him direction. He didn't seek the face of the government. He didn't seek the face of Cyrus or of Darius. He didn't seek the face of a politician. Daniel sought the face of God. Daniel knew that only God had the answers that were needed for the times that he was living in, the crazy times that he was living in. Guess who alone has the answers for the crazy times that we're living in now? We set our face upon him. We seek him. But not only did he seek after God, we notice that Daniel accompanied his prayer with fasting, which are among Baptist circles. That's a bad word. So some people might think I said a bad word from the pulpit. We don't like to fast. I know I don't. But you notice that that's what it says. He did because he was serious about what he was praying about. Now, fasting is more than just a diet for Christians. Actually, in the Jewish culture, there were several reasons why people would fast. Uh, They would fast as a sign of great sorrow. They would fast as a supplement to their prayer when critical decisions needed to be made. They would fast during times of great crisis. Well, Daniel ran into all that, and then some. Now we'll notice, according to Scripture, you know, fasting reminds us that we don't have the strength, and the answers to what we seek are not found in the things of the world. They're not found in the people of this world. Our help and our strength come from God alone. And so, yes, Daniel, for Daniel, it was a time of great sorrow. It was a time of crisis. His people were in captivity. He was taken into captivity as a teenager. But now he realizes that, according to Jeremiah the prophet, it was 70 years. Well, the 70 years are up, or just about up. He wasn't sure what that meant. What does that mean? I mean, are we, going back, are we getting back to Jerusalem? Are we getting rid of these Gentile oppressors? What exactly does that mean? This is what he's seeking here in, in this prayer. But he knew that getting the understanding that he was seeking would take more than just a casual prayer, Lord, bless me, bless this, bless that, bless, bless the other thing. But it, had, it was intense. The world didn't have the answers, and so he fasted. He sought God, he fasted. But then we also notice that it says that the prayer and the seeking and the fasting were accompanied by sackcloth and ashes. What in the world is that about? Well, in in the ancient Near East, the people would wear sackcloth and put ashes, dirt, dust on their heads during times of mourning as well as during times of repentance. Now, Daniel was mourning because of his people. And Daniel was repenting because of his people. But not only them, he was repenting for himself because he and his people sinned. Yes, even Daniel, the prophet, was a sinner. He contributed to the problems of Israel. And so he sought repentance before God. And all of this is a sign of humility Daniel was humbling himself before the Lord. Daniel did not approach God all puffed up with some sort of sense of self-importance 
or he didn't approach God. I guess, you know, something maybe we talk about more in, in our day and age is he didn't approach God with some sense of entitlement. Well, I am entitled to whatever. He approached God thinking that just because you exist that you're entitled to whatever, fill in the blank. No, we're not entitled to that. What Daniel did was come before God in weakness, in humility, because he was broken over sin. He was broken over his sin. But now there's something interesting about that verse. When I was studying it yesterday, do you, do any of the descriptions that are given there in verse 3 uh, of this chapter, does it remind you, this, this heart disposition, does it remind you of anything else? Does it sound familiar to you? Is there anywhere else in Scripture, where God's people are called to the same temperament. After I, I read that verse again, I'm like, holy smokes, this sounds exactly like 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, Daniel knew the Jewish scriptures. He, you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14, that's Solomon praying to God at the dedication of the temple. And, and Daniel knew that. And Daniel knew, well, yeah, what, what Solomon what was describing is the right heart temperament, the right heart orientation that we have if we're going to have effective prayer. And guess what? That, this is the same temperament and disposition we ought to take as well. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear that because we want to just approach God however we want to feel like approaching God, whenever we feel like approaching God, and we do it very blasé, I, guess, I don't know what the right word might be. But if, we're, if we want effective prayer, if we want to really have effective prayer, this is the heart disposition. But not only do we, does, do we see the principle about this disposition of our hearts before God, secondly, we, in our prayers, we need to recognize the holiness of God. We need to recognize the holiness of of God, you know, not only do we have to think about ourselves and our heart disposition toward God, we need to remember who it is that we're approaching. We have to re remind ourselves who this is that we're praying to. After Daniel makes sure that his own heart is right before God, he, he recognizes God for who he is and recognizes God for what he ha has done. And so you see all these descriptions that Daniel gives about God. He calls God the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. It is the God to whom belongs righteousness and thankfully it is also the God to whom belongs mercy and forgiveness. It is the God to whom all obedience is due. 
You know, with, with all the works and attributes that Daniel recognized in God, he, he's acknowledging, you know what, there is no other God like our God. There, there's just no other. God is just so other. He is holy. He is different. He is separate from his creation, be it the invisible world or the physical world. And so because he is holy, that means we treat him differently. We approach him differently than we do anybody else. Daniel did not come to God as an equal. It wasn't some guy coming to another guy to talk about football. Daniel and Israel were not on the same level as God, not on the same playing field as God. Daniel knew that, and he confessed that to God. God, you are so, you're mighty. You're awesome. Me and my people Israel, yeah, we're not. But you are. He knew he was approaching the thrice holy God, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, this is the God to whom all the angels bow down and give their worship. If powerful angels bow down before God's grandeur, how much more us puny humans? If the angels bow down to God's majesty and dominion and power and might, what about us? Yes, through Christ we are God's children. But that doesn't mean, that, that doesn't give us carte blanche to just approach God any old way we want. We revere Him. We fear Him. We recognize His holiness. It's only when we have a clear picture of who God is that we then get a clear picture of ourselves. And then we really know how to approach God. You know, we think of Isaiah. He was given that grand, that, that he was given that, that grand vision of the heavenly throne room. And Isaiah didn't say, oh, this is cool. He said, oh, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. From a people of unclean lips, I'm undone. Seeing that holy God. When Isaiah got into the presence of God, he recognized his own unholiness and his sinfulness. And because of that recognition, that actually leads to another principle we find in Daniel's prayer. We confess our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of our people. We confess our sinfulness. Because in this prayer, Daniel didn't sugarcoat stuff. He didn't, you know, you don't read this and, you know, here's Daniel kind of giving cutesy names to his sin and the sin of his people. He, he talked about how truly awful the sin was. He didn't try and give excuses. He didn't try and deflect it toward God. Lord, it's your fault I'm this way. It's your fault my people are this way. It's your fault that, that this happened. It's your, your fault. Daniel just called things the way they were. He said, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned aside from your commandments. We have turned aside from your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We have committed treachery against you. We have transgressed your laws and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. That's confession, being open and honest 
with God, not ignoring our sin, not justifying our sin, not defending our sin, being in agreement with God that we have rebelled against Him. Being in agreement that our rebellion has brought shame and disgrace upon ourselves. And, and, and in this confession, we recognize that God, you know what, God has every right to do to us whatever He deems fit. He has the right to. And as I'll talk about in a moment, thankfully He doesn't because He's a merciful, gracious God. But guess what? God takes sin seriously. And God takes the sin of His own people seriously. Oh, I've come to Christ. I've been baptized. I got the hell insurance. Well, that doesn't give us a blank check to just live however we want. If we want to have effective prayer, it includes confessing, agreeing with God that, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm messed up and I have messed up. And we say, how? We get real with God about what we've done, the impact that it has had on us, on others. We don't pull any punches. We're just getting real with God. Yeah, I'm, I did that. Well, I did that. And that's all sin. We, we agree and we repent. You know, we, we turn in the other direction. And, and we, I think it was Paul Washer who said, no, in this life we'll never have a perfect repentance. I mean, I mean if you're like me, I mean, you're sometimes in, um, just spinning, spinning around in circles. Yeah, Lord, I repent. Oh, I'm going back to doing the same thing. I repent again. Oh, I'm going back to the same thing. But, you know, what? We seek God for power for that. So if we're going to see a change in our life and our church and our nation, and we want our prayers to be effective, and we, we want our prayers to be heard, it's, it, it has a place of confession of sin. You know, we confess our own sin. We don't go on social media and point out everybody else's sin. Or we don't go to social media to feel better about ourselves because, frankly, on social media, you can, always, you, you can find plenty of people who's, yeah, way more messed up than you, you are, right? So if we want to change, if we want our prayers to be effective, we want to see change and all that, it starts with ourselves. But, you know, after that confession, there, there's one final principle. Yeah, we, we, we confess, we, we, we have sinned, but you know what? We rest in the mercies of God. We rest in His mercies because His mercies are new every day. Praise God, He shows us mercy. You know, Dan, Daniel knew the covenants of God. He knew the Word of God. He knew how God has revealed Himself to be gracious and slow to anger and ready to forgive. And especially the fact that God is faithful to everyone that He's in covenant with. Daniel knew that God would not give up on His people. And so Daniel prays for healing, he prays for favor, he prays for mercy. He asks God to hear their cries again and, and you know, um, bring them back into the land. You know, verses 16 through 19 is where, you know, he really, he's knowing, knowing God's character. He's holy and also he's merciful. He, he's relying on that mercy. And, and so he's crying out to God, Lord, be mercy, be slow to anger. And, and um, you know, and thankfully we find that. We find that in Christ. We find that mercy in Christ. We find that, that, that peace in Christ. It, yes, God will discipline his people. God will, will deal with people who are sinful. You know, I don't, 
I'll talk, if all goes according to plan, I'll talk more about this on Sunday. But I mean, you know, God does, doesn't like kind of overlook the sin of his own people. He doesn't overlook sin at all. And yes, you know what? We are in the mercies of God through Jesus Christ and we will not be eternally punished. But that doesn't mean we won't go through discipline. I mean, if, if, if your kid keeps running out into the middle of the street, are you just going to wink and nod at that? Are you going to do something to get it through their hard head? Don't go in the middle of the street. Well, you know, we keep doing the same thing over and over again. You think God's just going to go, oh, okay. Well, now we've got to spiritually prepare ourselves. Be spiritually prepared. And he is a God of mercies, though. If we call out to him, if we cry out to him, he will show us mercy. He will show our church mercy. He will show our nation mercy if we humble ourselves, seek his face, and pray. Yes, we have to have a certain heart disposition. We recognize God's holiness. We confess our sin and we just rest in the mercies of God. And so let's do that as we go to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.